Blog Talk Radio. I just want to say one thing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and cool, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest Welcome back, Talking Terror fans, nationwide and worldwide. It's Wednesday. It's hump day. So you know what that means. It's time for another new episode of Talking Terror. Tonight, the demonic Dr. Dave returns with his film pick of the week, Hereditary, from 2018, directed by Ari Aster. That's going to be something I'm really interested in talking about because, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, turning gears, I think, with this one. So it's interesting. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but as always, I'm your old pal, the King Horror, Andy G, welcoming you back to 2019, rung in just the other day, and we are back in the new year. Plenty of new terrors, plenty of new frights, and last to be had. So as always, I am joined by the bold, the beautiful, the ghoul geek Keith. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome back to Talking Terror. You like what I did there with the intro? Try to mix it up a little bit. Try to have a little bit, two things going at once. Thought I blended it pretty mm. Uh, no, but yeah. oh, nice hey, try listen, covering it at least. <laughs> I tried, I tried, uh, you know, because trying to do a little something different. Yeah, that was a complete flip, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't mean to do that, but yeah, anyway, that's what happens when the audio goes from one to the other. Uh, but we are also joined by the demonic doctor himself, who is now a DJ in his own right, so he should know about mixing things, so let's invite him on board. Demonic doctor, Good welcome. evening. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year. Hello, hello. hello. How are you cool. doing? Hello. Doing fine. Hello, King of Horror. Hello, Ghoul of Geek. Yes. Hello, and DJ Demonic Doctor. How are you? How, how's everybody doing on this on this first show of the New Year? Fantastic. Ready to do it. How about yourself? I'm very excited. Looking forward to a good tell. show. I can definitely tell. That is that is all energy right there, right out the gate. Love it. Bringing that heat. Um, but, yeah, I was uh, – just as we were coming on, we were talking about how I flubbed the audio. But, uh, apparently, Doc, you are uh, kind of a new DJ now. Uh, new Year's Eve, yeah. I saw some pictures of you getting ready for it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your DJ experience? Yeah, before, before I get to that, because I was uh, – you know, it took me a minute to get my system up and running here. Uh, what was the audio flub that happened? What did you do? I accidentally hit the uh, Yo Adrian uh, clip that we have in our uh, in our audio soundboard, but I stopped it right before it went too far and then hit the temp audio. So yeah, you kind of you kind of did that. You kind of did that at the last show that I was on too. I did, yeah, because apparently for some reason the system doesn't automatically kick on the intro anymore, so I have to do it manually. So I'm gonna have to tool with it this weekend. So it goes back to an automatic Uh, playthrough. What I'll do, too, is I'll go in and I'm going to clear some of that stuff out because uh, the the stuff from our Stallone retrospective, uh, the Rocky part, I can remove all of the stuff from Rocky. There's some stuff that I have uploaded that we're going to use when we do our Rambo episode. But, um, you know, I will will clear a lot of that stuff out. Perfect. Okay. Well, with that said, 
Yeah, so uh, tell us, DJ style. What's going on with that? Yeah, well, I mean, for a very long time, I've been an avid uh, collector and listener to of uh, vinyl records, and it's one of my favorite hobbies, one of my favorite things. And uh, since we moved out here, we've made some friends that also are into vinyl records, and every once in a while, we'll have what we call a record party, where a bunch of us will get together at somebody's house, and everybody brings a few records that they're into, and uh, we kind of just hang out and drink some beers and go around in a circle and everybody takes turns playing like the side of a record or, or, or a whole record. And we just like, it's awesome. We just like listen to music and we talk about music and we pat and we look at the cover art and, you know, we get introduced to stuff that we didn't know and we get to introduce people to stuff that they might not know. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. two of those guys, uh, one of who plays in a lot of bands around here and another one who's involved in like the kind of production management sides of things, they, uh, very often uh, kind of work as DJs and they, you know, they get gigs at private parties and stuff. But when uh, bands that we know are playing around uh, the area, uh, they often, you know, the bands often have them come down to like spin records before the show and it's set breaks and things like that. And, you know, uh, I was spending uh, a few days, uh, you know, the 30th and the 31st, uh, you know, our plans were to be down in Santa Cruz to see this great band that we love called the Mother Hips. And uh, we had an Airbnb with our friends Craig and Marcy. And Craig uh, is one of those guys who, who does these DJ gigs. And, uh, you know, he spun on the 30th at the show. And uh, I kind of hung out up there with him because I've been telling him I want get, to get involved. And he showed me how to use all the equipment. And, uh, you know, I took some turns. And uh, because we had all brought records with us for the Airbnb, um, you know, the next night he was going to be, he was performing in the opening band and he was like, Hey, I was going to make a, uh, you know, a playlist, just like a Spotify playlist to play through my rig. But, uh, you know, if you want the opportunity, you've been talking about it, then, then you can do it. So I said, yes. And I did it. And, uh, you know, I got to play a whole bunch of records that I had brought, uh, you know, some of my favorite cool stuff. And it was just a pretty cool experience to kind of be part of the show for New Year's. And, and it was a lot of fun and I look forward to more opportunities. So you think you're going to do it again? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I, I know that I'm going to do it again. So uh, okay. I have, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing scheduled. There's nothing on the books, but like, you know, it's been something that I've been wanting to get into. And, and again, this is just like, you know, pulling a record and like, you know, I have a, a cool funk record from Sil Johnson from 1972 and I might play, you know, line up the third song on the album this is not this is not like mixing songs and you know scratching records this is just this is just playing music you know this is uh, you know just to be like the house music uh you know before the show and during breaks very cool you know very excited to hear more about your dj experiences i know i was very impressed you know seeing the soundboard and everything like that you were working with so very cool glad to hear that's how you spent your new year's so cool how did you spend yours how was new year's for you Comfortable and at home, man. You know, we uh I hear you. We had the, old. The, the little we had yeah, we had the little terror home with us this, this year, so there was nothing else to really do. Um I'm not a big fan of going out at New Year's anyway, but especially nowadays that we don't drink or anything like that, it just makes it more of an irritation to actually go and deal with everybody else that does. Yeah. Oh, I imagine that's probably true. Plus, I mean, that's, you know, the best option. I know I stayed home myself. Pajamas on at like 5 o'clock, got a whole case of beer, and just watched New Year's Eve-themed horror films. It was a great night. <laughs> you know, just me by myself, you know, ringing in 2019, watching, you know, 
everything from End of Days to uh, Terror Train to Ghostbusters 2, which I think is a New Year's Eve film. So definitely enjoy myself. Did you myself. watch New Year's Evil? Of course. That was in the rotation. That was right before midnight. I wanted to hit that time zone just right for Evil. So had to watch that. And then I watched Mandy as well. So, yeah, I got it all in. So, it was a movie-centric night for New Year's Eve with a bunch of beer. Great time. So, very so, yes, with that said, uh, Doc, I know you like to hit us with some horror news. Do you have anything you'd like to discuss as we carry on with this episode of 2019? I do. I have some things <clears throat> that I'd like to – I have some things – that I'd like to discuss. Sure. Uh, first off, um, as I have said on numerous occasions uh, on this show, uh, I am so looking forward. We're just a few short weeks away from Glass, uh, mm-hmm. what's now you know being spoken of as the, the final movie in this series with these characters. But I feel like uh, the money will will tell the tale. But uh, they're already projecting like a four-day opening weekend of seventy to seventy-five million dollars. Mm. Um, I feel like that's that's like huge projections. Uh, yeah. I know that uh, Split was uh, a big hit, um, but I mm. also did not go back and kind of take a look at the at the kind of money that Split made. Um, you know, I know that that split was one of those that had a, you know, kind of big following in the mainstream. Uh, here it is. Split pulled in 280 million on a $10 million budget. So that was a humongous smash. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. You know, so that was a huge hit in the mainstream. You know, it's not often that, you know, something that leans into our genre uh, is such a huge financial hit like that. Um, you know, and obviously unbreakable was a huge film. So, I don't know. I feel like seventy to seventy-five million, or they're saying uh, fifty to seventy-five million. Actually, I feel like that gets into the seventy million range over four days. That's going to be a movie's going to make a shit ton of money. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I mean, what do you think about that goal as far as it being the final film uh, of these three movies? Uh, money talks, you know. Just like the the doc had just said, I think I don't think it's the last time we're going to see these characters if it banks that much cash. I mean. Uh... Again, both Split and Unbreakable, the two films that lead up to this, um, both made, you know, around that 250 mark. Um, What I find amazing out of that is that Split only cost $10 million to make. I mean, Unbreakable was a $75 million film. Um, Mm -hmm. And I found Split, you know, as much as I enjoy Unbreakable, I really do. I'm, I'm a big fan of that film. I have been since, you know, the first time I've seen it. I love it. Um, I, yeah. I feel like Split just had so much more quality behind it and felt like overall just more of a film. Um, so I, I really do wonder where they come up with that $10 million budget. I mean, I would think McAvoy alone would have commanded more money than that. Um, I would figure he's in the 10 to 15 million range as is what, just to hire. What is his background? Whoa, whoa. Before we get into that for him, for, for getting into the 10 to $15 million a film range, like what, where does, where is he from? What's his background even? I'm like talking about Charles Xavier from, from all the X-Men yeah. films now. Yeah. He's yeah. who? He's the new, he's professor, professor Xavier in all of the new X-Men films. Isn't, I thought that's Patrick Stewart. No, that was in the first three. 
James McAvoy is the one that took over since first class and Days of Future Past and all of those. So yeah, but, the, yeah, but he makes uh, maybe I'm, I'm just going completely. This is complete project like uh, conjecture or uh, you know just thoughts on my part. But like those, uh, correct me if I'm wrong too, because I'm totally going off the top of my head here. But are not those X Men movies all of those like humongous ensemble casts where like maybe nobody's making big time dollars to be in those? Yes, I mean they are all ensemble mm-hmm. cast movies. So, I mean, I, uh, again, I don't know what their their casts are commanding, but I would still think that you know the guys that are in your lead roles, which are McAvoy and uh, Michael Fassbender playing Magneto, and so forth, those are the guys that are going to be making money on those films and projects, as opposed to the kids that are playing, you know, all the younger characters. All right. Hmm. So I think he would uh, ask for that kind of a price tag, I guess, you know. He has a bargaining chip, I guess, because of the X-Men success. So, you know, he's, he's somebody that can walk to the table and say, this is how much I want. So, you know, he has that behind him. Where's Tapioca Boy tonight? He's not on the show? Not tonight, no. No, he that's right. You know, I've been uh, totally waiting for Monkey, too, and I forgot. He's got, uh, he's got his little one with him. Well, his, his son with him today. So He'll be back next week. It's not this one. So, yeah, not tonight, but that's okay. We carry on with that. All right, then. I really I can't believe that someone has the, the nerve to, to not make a show. I mean, seriously, I can't even believe that. We have such a great track record with appearances. I know. We're always on time. I'm always here for you guys. <laughs> we're all entitled to a day off. Um, I mean, I've been on on one show in the last two months, so obviously I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) Wow, work (laughs) schedule. But we're always glad to have you back and talking about your pick tonight. So, all right, so we talked about, uh, what's that movie coming out? January 19th, Glass? Uh, Maybe the 18th? Something like that, the 18th or the 19th, somewhere in that neighborhood. So it is fast approaching. So, okay, I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely going to be checking it out just to see what they do. The trailers are phenomenal especially the ones they're showing now on TV. I'm just like, oh, man, cannot wait to see this battle between Bruce Willis and James McAvoy. I think it's going to be huge. Yeah, I'm really excited. Over yep. the Christmas holidays, I was, at, I was at my sister and brother-in-law's house, and, uh, you know, we have a big screen TV down in the basement, and uh, we were down there watching TV, and, like, the little kids are running around. They're, like, seven and five and two. And, uh, you know, the glass trailer came on, and, I'm like, oh, yes. And, like the, like, the kids are jumping all over the place. And my wife just kind of gently nudged me, and she was just like, maybe you should change the channel, um, you know, with the little ones running around. I didn't even cross my mind. But, you know, again, uh, big projections coming up for Glass. Uh, I will be there. Super excited. Um, I've been really trying to make it a point to get out to the theater to see the movies uh, that, I, that I really, really, really want to see, uh, which traditionally I don't often get a chance to do because – uh, my wife and I have vastly different tastes in movies, uh, but mm. I've been making a point. We have a, we have a theater that's like a, a five minute walk. So uh, when there's something that I want to see, I just you know I just go and see it by myself. Um, and I've been I've been be strongly looking forward to doing the same for Glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's odd too that they're putting it out in January because typically January is the, the month where they just dump movies that aren't going to make any money. Yeah, it's the dumping ground. You know, it's the dumping. Yeah, it is. January is always a dumping ground where they're like, we don't have trust in this movie. So January, you got it. So for Glass to come out this month, that's huge. Saying a lot. If they have confidence in this movie. 
Well, I think the bigger thing is it's not even just a matter of confidence, but, you know, when we're talking about superhero films these days, we're talking about things like, you know, the X-Men movies, which, you know, there's a new one coming out this summer. Um, we have, you know, the Avengers film coming out. Like, those are all the big budget. Those are the movies that are going to come out during your, your summer months, you know, and I just feel like something like Class isn't the kind of film that's going to go toe-to-toe with those movies. You know, this is, uh, again, it's a, it's a lower-budget indie-style film, you know, or at least that's where its roots are from. And I, I think it's a smart move coming in, you know, January or February area. I think they're, uh, they're going to hit well with it. Yeah, I, I think that's, know, that's what's going to add to the projection that they've got here. Yeah, because, you know, there might not be much else going on. And I know there's a couple of big movies right now that are losing a ton of dough. Uh, some of the biggest yeah. losses uh, in a while, especially uh, the number one one, that one called, uh, it's called like uh, The Land of Merwin or Welcome to Merwin, something with Steve oh, yeah, Carell. Yeah. Uh, they're saying that that movie, when it's all said and done, is going to have lost like $150 million. Um, I haven't yeah, heard about losses well. like that in, in quite some time. But uh, From what I've heard, too, is that the movie's terrible, and it's based on a true story, too. But uh, yeah. everything I've yeah. heard about it is that it's like a really bad movie. Yeah, well, I, I agree one, with that. And uh, Holmes and Watson, too. Big fucking flop for Wolf Ferrell yeah, and surprise uh, me. Riley. It doesn't surprise me either, and here's the reason why. Um, one, like usually those two clowns, uh, are money in the bank. Yeah. And it's been a while that they've done something together, but I feel that, uh, in choosing to work in the Sherlock Holmes realm, which has had in the last 10 years has had tremendous, the Sherlock Holmes character and stories in general has had such monumental popularity and success in a, in a bunch of different mediums over the last 10 years. That the BBC kind of, show, the BBC show especially. Yes, of course. Uh, but even the two movies with Robert Downey Jr. were big hits. Um, yeah. But I feel that them looking to kind of get get into some satire and maybe some comedy with it, I really think that they missed the mark just as a project in general. Um, I don't really think that Sherlock Holmes is really something uh, that necessarily can work to be explored. Comedically, especially with those two goops, um, you know who who how I feel about them, uh, you know, and 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 my thoughts on them as as comic actors kind of ebbs and flows. It kind of depends on the day and how I'm feeling when I see something of theirs on. But I do I feel as soon as I heard about that, I, I kind of immediately was like, that's a mistake. That's gonna that's not gonna yeah. work. And I feel like the box office is showing that. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Okay, so what else do you have for us, Doc? Uh, oh. So. For Speaking those of box you out there, office, real quick, since we had it going, though, um, I did go, and surprisingly, I mean, you know, things I'd never thought I'd actually say, especially in this day and age, um, mm. I went and saw the new Spider-Man cartoon film, the uh, Into okay. the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of a, uh, a birthday present for me from my son. Um, decided that, you know, like, hey, you know, I'm going to take you to the movies. What will we That's go see? Cartoon. All right, we'll go, we'll go see Spider-Man. Yes, it is. Um, and I am That's not no a idea. big cartoon fan these days. I can't, you know, I just, I can't anymore. I, I don't know why. I just don't get into them the way I used to. Um, right. That being said, this film has got, you know, I don't know. I think it's like a 98% like approval rating on, on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever the hell it is that they, they go with their ratings on these days and all that shit. Um, 
I have to say, I honestly agree with what's being said about this film. It is probably the best Spider-Man movie I've ever seen. Really? Yeah, it is really that good. They did a phenomenal job of character, um, creating all the different personas that you had to deal with with something like this. You got a very different Spider-Man. There was no, you know, Peter Parker is is in the movie, but not how you would expect him to be. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. just a great, great movie overall. Uh, And if you're a fan of any of that kind of series, then I highly recommend it. Yeah, even at an in joke okay. for those who uh, who like the Tobey Maguire movies. <laughs> Great. All right. So, Doc, uh, carry on with us, please. I will carry on with you. Uh, this next piece of information uh, might not be of interest to the ghoul because he has turned his back on the alcohol. But I read today uh, that there is going to be a predator. And I'm I'm a a a fan of drinking bourbon whiskey and Mm -hmm. I have read today about a predator inspired bourbon whiskey that is being released that will be called Dutch and uh, there's a helicopter on the label and it says get to the chopper and uh, you can you know relax after a a long day of fighting aliens in the jungle with with the smooth rich taste of of Dutch bourbon and that is not an endorsement of the product <laughs> in any way, shape, or form, but it is coming out, and I am only talking about that because I saw it and I like whiskey, but I doubt that I will drink that one. Yeah, I don't know. I saw that too. Um, I saw the website, you know, because it was on Bloody Disgusting, and I was like, do I want to order myself a bottle of that? Um, I don't know. I was thinking about it, but I don't know if it's going to taste good. Like, you know, because when I drink bourbon, I want it to taste good. I don't want to get it just for the label. So I'm, I'm debating it, but it depends on the price tag. You know, if they're asking way too much, I probably won't order it. But if it's, if it's moderately priced, I'm going to pick up a bottle and just put it on the shelf. Just so it's a, you know, yeah, you know I, I, had, I had that thought for like a brief moment, um, but I probably am not going to do that, especially because uh, in my current living arrangement, uh None of my none of my booze is on display, um, mm-hmm. so uh, just because I I live in a very 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 small house, um, you know my my liquor cabinet is kind of out in the laundry room, so there'd be no reason for me to have it on display, um, you know. So I feel like that's why I'm not going to purchase a bottle of this whiskey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely get that. I mean, it's it's you know one of those things where it's a boutique item. You know, it's kind of a cool thing, but you really want to spend the money to get it. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where if you're the avid collector, if you just like bourbon whiskey, I'd say give it a shot. But otherwise, yeah, I think it'll be a pass. Just a fun little thing. Um, but the one thing I wanted to interject with uh, before we move on is that, you know, we kick off 2019. Everybody's psyched. You know, it's a new year, new inventions of people and things. We had two big, in my opinion, celebrity deaths today alone with Mean Gene Okerlund, the WWF Hall of Famer, and Super Dave Osborne, uh, Bob Einstein. So I know, uh, Doc, you're a big fan of Super Dave, so I kind of wanted to get your opinion on, on uh, yeah, what he did. Yeah, you know, I, let's, let's, let's put the brakes on that for a minute. Let's talk about Mean Gene first. I know that you guys are both have big boners for wrestling, uh, but oh, there yeah. was a time with wrestling that I had a boner too. Um, but those days are long and past. 
Uh, I came of age in the golden age of the WWF, uh, where uh, Mean Gene was a was a, a large presence. And being that yeah. uh, that is an era of wrestling that I hold near and dear of my heart, and I know that you guys are both wrestling homers, I feel that maybe we should start this talk with talking about Mean Gene. Okay. So, Ghoul, I want to give it to you first uh, to talk about Mean Gene and, and what he meant to you growing up as a wrestling fan. Oh, listen, man, wrestling wasn't wrestling without fucking Mean Gene Oakland there, you know? He was... He was the voice that we heard. He was the guy that did the interviews. He was the comic relief sometimes. He was that presence that was always there. Um, you know, it's, uh, it definitely is a, it's a sad, sad day for, you know, wrestling fans in general for this, man. You know, it's not a... You know, I remember from when, obviously, again, we're talking WWF days, you know, the same days that I came up in, uh, you know, watching him do some of the, the greatest interviews, man, you know, interviews with like Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect, you know, and yeah. Leo was always, always trying to keep it light. He was always a face. He was always a good guy. Um you know, but at the same time, too, there was just always those moments where, you know, somebody would get shitty with him, and sometimes <laughs> he might give he might give a little dude back or something, but it always ended up like, it almost literally always smacked him back in the face, you know? Uh, I, I got lucky when uh, I went to, to Chiller Theater, you know, when, uh, when I met you and the monkey there. Um, yeah. I was walking through the main thoroughfares, uh, you know, through a big crowd, you know, uh, of all these people and everything. And I just happened to like, look, and like there right in front of me was none other than Mean Gene Oakland, you know? And it was like, dude, it's Mean Gene. You know, I got, I can't not like say hi to the guy. I mean, it's fucking Mean Gene Oakland, you know? So, so I like lightly tapped him on the shoulder and I'm like, dude, Mean Gene Oakland, you know, it's fucking, it's nice to meet you, bro. You know, and he shook my hand and he's like, oh no, thank you. You know, thank you for watching. And in that typical like Mean Gene Oakland way, he's like, you know, right over there is, uh, is, a honky tonk man. You should go say hi to him and get his autograph. You know, and he's like, "You try to sell a honky tonk man." Which anybody on the circuit, you see the honky tonk man these days, you probably go in the other direction. Um, he's quite hairy. He's quite hefty. The character that you kind of thought of as the honky man, honky tonk man on TV, is kind of the honky tonk man in real life these days, which is kind of scary. Um, he's the only other guy I could say makes me feel as miserable seeing as the honky tonk man is Greg the hammer Valentine. That man is just <laughs> never fucking happy. Whenever he's at a con, you see this guy and he looks like a woman, like an ugly, ugly <laughs> yeah. woman. And he's just sitting there at his table with a puss on his face, just looking miserable as fuck all the time. But, uh, but yes. Yeah, so meeting mean gene was, a, was definitely a highlight. Uh, didn't get to get to his table or anything like that. So I had no idea what he was charging for autographs, but I'm just happy. I got to say hi and shake his hand. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me as a wrestling fan, that's where I got my start was with Mean Gene and Jesse the Body Ventura, you know, on commentary. Uh, well, I was talking to you guys earlier about some of my favorite Mean Gene moments. One of them was the Mega Powers when they first united, Macho Man and Hulk Hogan with that infamous handshake. You sitting here, folks, mm-hmm. they're together, the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. They are the Mega Powers. Like, you know, I was like, oh, man, this is so fucking cool. Like, you know, they're teaming up. Like, you know, they were enemies at one point. Um, and uh, the cream of the crop interview with uh, Macho Man, where he's just carrying around a little pack of the creamer. He's like, cream of the crop, 
Mean Gene, like, you know. <laughs> and Mean Gene's trying to rail this guy in. Like, anyway, anyway, Macho Man, what do you have to say about the match tonight? Oh, yeah, cream of the crop. Oh, hey, take this creamer. Like, you know, it was just insane. Like, those days of interviews with Mean Gene. Because, like, you know, the good said, he was a straight man. He was the good guy. He was the face. And he was always trying to rally these guys for an interview. But they were so hopped up on steroids and just wanted to get that promo out. And he, uh, he was a, a legend. You know, he will not- be a legend. Of course, and not even just steroids on half of these. Uh, and it's a, great, it's a great exercise and fun just if you were to go over to YouTube and Google Mean Gene Macho Man and watch like all of the interactions because oh my God, if, yeah. you can, yeah. if you could prove to me that in 98% of these things, the Macho Man wasn't high off of his fucking gourd on cocaine, uh, <laughs> yeah. that, would, that, would be, that would be a miracle as well. But anyway, what I remember loving so much about Mean Gene allegedly. was what uh, he was uh, allegedly on the cocaine. Uh, what I remember most <laughs> loving about with all of the with the circus going on around him, with all of these humongous, larger-than-life characters, um, he was always in a suit or a tuxedo, and he mm-hmm. was always like deadpan, one hundred percent. You know, like he was trying to conduct a serious interview. You know, he was like the straight man to all of the fucking nonsense that was going on. <laughs> yeah. Because while that era of wrestling, in my opinion, is the golden age, uh, you know that that. That was the like the greatest time uh, to me. Uh, he was always the voice that was there. He had a very he had a great 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 announcer's voice and a great interviewing voice, uh, a great tone and cadence to his voice and a way of delivering his questions and statements and giving his remarks. And it always I don't want to say it led lent like a credence of serious seriousness to it because watching this shit when you're like 10, 11, 12 years old it's like not serious it even was though you're serious. But like <laughs> yeah. he made it, he made it more like maybe authentic in a way. Like he was interviewing was actual athletes. Yes, he was. Uh, yeah. So you know, I you know I haven't watched anything having to do with wrestling, and I don't even know how long. It's not something that is on my radar in any way. The only way that I even know anything that has to do with wrestling is when one of you guys bring this up on the show or uh, King, sometimes you post something about wrestling on Facebook. Other than that, it's like not in any of my fucking radar streams in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but mm-hmm. hearing this morning, one of the first things I saw when I woke up and checked my social media was that Mean Gene had passed away, and uh, I was I was like really sad about it because Mean Gene, like I have such strong memories, and it brings me right back to like a very special fun time as a kid. So uh, mm-hmm. rest in peace, you know. Absolutely. And moving on to the other one, uh, Bob Einstein, Super Dave Osborne. Uh, I wanted to give this to you first, uh, Doc. Uh, you know, remembering him as that character because I was fond of that when I was a kid, that uh, Super Dave Osborne. So I wanted to get your opinion on that. Yes. So uh, the Super Dave show, and again, I know a lot of people are uh, very, you know, are humongous fans of Curb Your Enthusiasm where he played a mm-hmm. role. That's a show that I've seen about maybe, maybe seven total minutes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's not something that yeah. I watched. But Super Dave Osborne, uh, is, a, is a completely other, like another situation for me. Uh, Super Dave Osborne and Fuji Hakuhito, uh are two uh, monumental comedic influences on what I find funny uh, going back to when I was a kid and the Super Dave show was on Showtime. Uh, mm-hmm. and I had to even go back and look at exactly what years it was to kind of see how old I was. But from 1987 to 1991, Super Dave was on Showtime. 
you know, I remembered it distinctly being on Showtime. I had to check the years. So I was 11, 12, and 13 years old. This shaped my view of what is funny. I, I can't even begin to express how influential the Super Dave Osborne show was to me. He was so funny at talking about what he was doing, what his plans were, and building up to the stunt that was going to go wrong in every possible way. (laughs) He was able to deliver his monologue about it or his interview about it with such deadpan seriousness. And you knew exactly what was going to happen. Every single time, you knew exactly what was going to happen. And every single time, it was just as funny. And you had Fuji, his assistant, which provided the comic relief. I just, you know, I haven't watched any Super Dave in, 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 it could be 25 years. I don't even know the last time I saw a clip of the Super Dave Osborne show. I don't know when the last time I thought about it was. And when I saw that Super Dave had died, the first thing I had seen today was just, oh, this actor from Curb Your Enthusiasm. I didn't even remember what his real name was. I don't even know, honestly, <laughs> if I knew what his real name was. I had no idea what his real name was. Bob Einstein. And then when I saw, yes, well, I've seen that now, but then a little bit later in looking at news and stuff today, I just have, you know, time to to do nothing because I'm off of work this week. But uh, when I realized that it was Super Dave, I was like heartbroken. And I went back and watched some of the clips on YouTube. And it's just, it's it's still to me, and, and opinions may differ, it's so funny and when I really think back to like what my, or even think now to what my favorite comedy is, is when someone talks about something so passionately and so believably, and then whatever it is they're talking about is like complete horseshit or it goes sideways or it doesn't work the way it's supposed to do. Uh, that's always my favorite type of comedy. Um, mm-hmm. And I like one instance of that that I can think of off the top of my head uh, is and, and this is just a perfect example is I'm a huge fan of the first barbershop movie. I think there's a lot of perfect comedy in that movie, but there's a scene mm. when Ice Cube is trying to sell his car on the used car lot. And he's saying, oh, the Buick, whatever, you know, all the kids love this car, you know, and the car had just like backfired or something. And the car dealer is like, listen, Calvin, I can't, I can't put this car on my lot. I'm running a reputable business. Like if I put this car on my lot and somebody comes in and it backfires like it's doing now, it's just not going to work. And while he's saying this, he like puts his foot up on the bumper of one of the cars he's trying to sell and the bumper falls off. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's just like watching Super Dave talk about a stunt that goes wrong. And that's my favorite type of comedy. And like when I was learning about comedy and becoming influenced by comedians and what I think is funny, uh, Super Dave to me is one of the one of the top influential uh, like comedy voices to me growing up as a kid. I was really really sad to hear that Super Dave had died. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And Ghoul, what are your kind of memories of Super Dave? Uh, very little actually. Um, I mean, obviously, I know who Super Dave Osborne is. Uh, you know, I remember because I, I grew up, I didn't have cable. Um, living in Staten Island, I didn't have that until I moved to Jersey, and that wasn't until around 1990, 1991. Um, I do remember seeing the commercials, though, um, prior to ever seeing the Super Dave show, um, and always thinking, oh, okay, this guy is just like another evil Knievel. I always thought that it was completely serious. I thought it was like a real show, and he was a real stuntman. Um so when we did move to Jersey and I eventually, you know, had showtime and if I wasn't, you know, catching porn, you know, I, I caught things like the Super Dave Osborne show. 
And I just remember watching the first one and him going on and on. I don't remember what it was. It might have been him getting fired out of some cannon or something like that. And, like, watching all this build up to it and, like, seeing that there was some humor involved, but the entire time being convinced, like, this was going to be a real stunt and that something was going to really happen. And for whatever reason, I just remember when whatever got fired out was just so clearly not a real human being that, like, I just... (laughs) Like, I broke down, like, it, this was late at night, so I remember getting yelled at for it, too. But, like, I just yep. started cracking up, and this is when my, you know, again, when we first moved to Jersey, my bedroom was on the upstairs. It was right across from my parents' room. And, yeah, I just, I was howling with fucking laughter because it reminded me, you know, of stuff that I did watch, which was, like, Laurel and Hardy and the Three Stooges and stuff like that. It was just with the with the... Current times is sensibility. Um, so, yeah, so the few times that I did catch it after that, though, yeah, it always gave me a laugh. He was always funny. He was he was a larger-than-life personality, man. And, uh, yeah, no, I never knew his real name. I never knew him from anything else. I've never watched Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, so so I didn't know that he was anything other than Super Dave. Yep. If you would have asked me, I would have thought he was man. dead already, to be honest with you. <laughs> every time he would talk about that fucking stunt, you know, and every time you're like, Every time you know exactly what's going to happen, but it never, ever <laughs> got old. It was funny every time. It really was. I mean, I I think even when I was a kid, I had the Super Dave Osborne action figure. Like, I can remember that, you know, from when I was a kid. And they had the cartoon series for a while, Super Dave, uh, Stuntman for Hire, uh, that ran for a while. I used to watch. Uh, but it was, yeah, like, you know, we had all said. It's one of those things where he's deadpan series about this stunt, and you're like, it's not going to go well for this guy. Like, there is not a lot of safety in this thing. And then, like the, the ghoul had said, clearly it's a dummy flying out of it, but you're still laughing because you get what they're doing, you know? And it's kind of a prototype for a lot of the physical comedy we would see later on, you know? I mean, I, I don't really want to compare like Super Dave to Jackass, but that's the vibe I always got when they first started, at least with Johnny Knoxville, when he would do a lot of Super Dave-type uh, stunts, like with the rockets and shit like that. I'm like, yeah, that's a Super Dave type thing. You know it's not going to go except, well, but... Ex- except that they stuck themselves in there, and that was the big difference. You know, they kind of took it to the whole other level of, uh, of just physical <laughs> danger. Oh, yeah, just completely putting the bodies at risk for a stunt that you know is not going to go well. But, yeah, I mean, I I knew that he was on Kirby Enthusiasm, like we had all had said, but, yeah, I total time watching that's like five minutes, like the doc had said. I'm not a fan of that humor, but... I knew he was on it. Just that's always going to be Super Dave to me. Super Dave Osborne, never going to be Bob Einstein or Kirby Enthusiasm or anything else that he did. It's always going to be Super Dave. So, you know, two deaths already in 2019. It's like, wow, what else is this thing you're going to have for us? But we'll find out. So, with that said, uh, what else do you have for us, Dave? Uh, I know that uh, I am one who is not a fan of anything having to do with Predator, uh, other than the original movie. Uh, it's, just, it's just not something bourbon. I ever saw or had an interest in. But we were talking about Predator Bourbon, and there was some other Predator news uh, that I had seen earlier today that I thought was interesting. So I have not seen the Shane Black, the Predator film from, from uh, 2018. Um, I like it. You're better off not. I yeah, like it. I mean, look, the only, look, I'm a fan of the, the writing and work of Shane Black, and I know he was involved, and it made me have me interested, but I didn't watch it and probably never will. But uh, I was reading... The movie was a mess. Yeah, I'm, anyway, 
uh, reading today that they filmed a few different endings to it, one of which uh, had the characters of Ripley and Newt uh, as predator killers. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So, a, it, sounds, yeah it sounds very much like the ending to Critters. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, That's a whole lot of problems. I saw that piece of news, um, you know, and I just thought it to be interesting. We've talked about alien aliens on the show before. Uh, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, whether that is something that will rise again, if we'll see those characters again in some way. Yeah. And um, apparently uh, there's a, a predator killer, Ripley, that's wearing some type of mask. Uh, but you can see the name tag on that character's costume is Ripley uh, and also one that says Newt. Um, so Ripley and Newt apparently have become predator killers. Um, but, you know, obviously wow, not used. And, you know, that might have just well, been something they did yeah. fun. Yeah, and whatnot. I saw the... Uh, yeah, I mean, Newt was killed anyway. Uniforms. You know what I mean? That's yeah. rewriting all kinds of alien history involved yeah. in it, too. Ripley wouldn't even be born yet when the predator takes place. <laughs> oh, right, so... You know, you're going to have to have time travel to have Ripley come back. But I like the masks, though, they made up for these Predator Killers for uh, Ripley and Newt because they look like facehugger masks. So I was like, yeah, oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah, they call them facehugger masks. I was like, that's kind of a cool mask, but I can't imagine any alien fan going, cool, man, yeah, Ripley. It's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. She's not even born yet. Like, so how did this happen? So, but yeah. Yeah, you know, again, you know, I just saw that thought it was a piece of interesting thing, interesting news, so I wanted to share it, not something I was wanting to, uh, you know, dwell on too much. But the ghoul, he just said rewriting history. Speaking of rewriting history, and I guess it would work if that character is becoming a zombie, but apparently uh, production on Zombieland 2 kicks off this month uh, with a release date of sometime in October of 2019. So it's going to be a quick shot, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we'll be seeing it this year. Uh, But I read today that both uh, Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray have signed on. um, that movie's been out long enough, so I'm not even saying this is a spoiler. And if you haven't seen Zombieland, tough shit. Uh, but Bill <laughs> Murray, uh, who plays himself in Zombieland and gets killed in Zombieland, uh, is somehow returning. So whether his character is a zombie uh, remains to be seen. But Dan Aykroyd will be joining in the fun also, along with the rest of the original cast, as well as some newcomers. Is he going to play Race Dance? Uh, unknown at this time okay i mean that's cool though i mean at least that they're going to be in it i'd love to see you know bill murray come back as a zombie you know and see what they're going to do with that but it's fun just to see them two together again um in a movie i mean what do you think about that ghoul them having cameos i think it's fun i'm looking forward to zombie land yeah to be honest definitely i uh you know i was i was on the on the more negative end for Zombieland, I just I had different expectations for that movie than than what was mm. delivered. Um, so the first time around, you know, I found it entertaining, but again, different expectations, so a bit of a disappointment. Uh, going back to it, you know, it's one that I do own on the Xbox. It gets thrown on every now and again. Uh, I have found more enjoyment of it. Over the last, you know, I guess two or three years that I've that I've since fun. owned it, um, it's a, it is it's a fun movie that I feel like you know what a sequel can work. Uh, it's a world that they didn't delve very deep into, and I think that there is plenty of things that they can go with with it. So looking forward to it. Yeah, especially with the the fast shooting schedule, 
you know, they're shooting this month and they're aiming for an October release. So that's a quick shot, like the doc had said. So, but I'm looking forward to it either way. Can't wait to go back to that world. Agreed, yeah. man. Yeah. Again, I think Zombieland is super fun, and uh, I hope it's not one of those situations where, uh, you know, enough time has passed that it won't have that kind of same whatever it was that had Zombieland that made it work. Um, I'll be curious to see if there is such a like a time jump, especially because like Abigail Breslin is back and it's she's, she was a little kid and it's ten years later now. Uh, so uh, we'll see what happens, but I'm looking forward to it and I will, that will be one that will be definitely on my list to take a little stroll downtown to check out in the theater. Yeah, that too. The fact that they brought up the, the entire cast, you know, the original cast of Woody Harrelson, you know, and and uh, Emma Stone, Abigail Breslin. Uh, Jesse Eisner, you know, the fact that they're bringing the whole cast back together is a lot. Eisenberg. You know, yeah. Like, I think that's important to bring back the the full back. You know, it's not a new bunch of characters and a new setting. No, we're going to revisit these characters from 10 years ago and see what they're doing now. Mm -hmm. Don't see any other way to do it, so makes sense. No. All right, Doc, so what else do you have for us? Uh, The final piece that I have for me is the most exciting and the biggest news. Uh, that is uh, on the day that we will all be celebrating the United States of America and our independence and the red, white, and blue and the fireworks and the ultimate day of summer will be the release date of the summer set season three of Stranger Things, July 4th, 2019. Oh, okay. So we have a date now. All right. Summer release. I'm excited. I think they waited too long, like I've said all along. I think they waited too long to release this, but I'm excited. It gives me something to look forward to this summer. What do you guys think? I don't know yeah, if I no, necessarily I mean, feel that they've waited too long to, to release it. I feel that the one-year-to-one-year one release time from the first season to the second season uh, was like perfect, especially like I believe those both came out at least the end of May or maybe even June. Uh, so they are yeah. like summer-leaning uh, in their release. I feel like, like two years is a long time. Uh, I'm excited that this one is going to be taking place in the summer versus like the fall and winter. Um, it's going to have a whole different look and color palette because of that. And that's kind of be exciting to check out. And look, if they, if they deliver the goods, uh, then I don't think that, I think that no one is going to be, you know, especially because every episode is going to be at your disposal on July 4th. So yeah. it's not like, Oh, it's finally coming. Like I remember it was like a big deal that when like the Sopranos was still on and Mad Men, it would be like two, yeah. two and a half years in between seasons. And then the seasons would get here and it was one episode and then all oh, another week and another episode. But I feel the fact that we're all going to get it and get to binge it and watch it as fast as we can. If they deliver the goods, I don't think anybody's going to be talking about how long it took. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Cool. I, I am in the camp of feeling like they did take long um, to do so. Uh, you know, hopefully that translates to quality. Uh, I know from, you know, the very first season of Stranger Things that the Duffer Brothers had, you know, a five-year or five-season plan for the characters mm-hmm. in the show. Um, so if this is part of that plan, fantastic. Uh, yeah, the summer, you know, doing this in the summer, there's going to be a, a, a couple of year jump too to, to kind of keep the kids of age so that that all works. I always love when a show does something like that rather than trying to either convince you that the kids are still the same age when they're clearly not, um, or just going ahead and not 
even acknowledging it and trying to pretend like their audience isn't isn't smart enough for it. Um, you know, the 4th of July weekend, kind of a little, uh, or whatever, whatever the day is, the 4th of July, kind of a weird time to release something. You know, summertime is not typically when you're sitting in watching stuff. Uh, kids right. are on summer break, vacations are going on, you're talking about a holiday weekend uh, that people tend to go away and go out. Um, I think that is something that, you know, the spring and the fall shows benefit from is the fact that, you know, people are indoors, you know, kids are going to school, so they're, they're inside. Uh, parents are kind of doing the same. So, you know, I do know, yeah, though, like, like, uh, like the... On that note, like, I'm looking right now, season one was released on July 15th of 2016. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't and, remember when it came out. I just remember, again, watching it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, season two was not, it actually didn't come until October, so I'm wrong about that. Uh, October 27th, 2017. I completely apologize. For some reason, I thought that they were both released in the summer. So I am wrong. I take that back. I retract my words. Uh, but the first episode I distinctly remember uh, being released in the summer because I was working at a camp at the time, and I remember I stayed up watching. I watched like the first five episodes like all night long, and then had to go slog through my day. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do yeah. remember season two was released in the fall because they were focusing on the Halloween aspect of one of the episodes where they all dressed mm-hmm. up like Ghostbusters. So I remember yeah, they were all dressed up as the Ghostbusters. That all led up to it. Yeah, but. and. I like season two. I mean, I know a lot of people online are saying they didn't like it, but I did. I enjoyed it. I felt like it was a great, you know, following to the first season and leading up into the third one coming out in July. And I, you know, I thought it was great, but a lot of people were, nah, weren't that impressed. I enjoyed it. I, mean, I enjoyed it. It was nice to see the characters again. You know, question, uh, obviously watching it, you question certain motivations or, you know, decisions mm-hmm. that, that, the Duffer Brothers might have made with it, but I, you know, again, when they come in saying they've got, you know, a multi-year or multi-season story arc going, right? Um, you know, and watching them in interviews, it doesn't feel like they're guys that are just saying that, you know, it feels like, you know, oh, yeah. these guys really do have a plan. Um, I have this feeling that this is going to be one of those where like after season three or even who knows, as far as season four, Season two is going to be more of a bridge than we actually realize that there's going to be connecting threads that were put together there that, you know, when you go back now and watch it as a whole, you're going to be like, holy shit, you know, all those things that you might not have found fun or maybe you didn't enjoy or felt like a slog um, are going to all have more meaning than, than what they do now, you know, and, you know, obviously, you know, like the doc says too, with the whole fact of being able to get the entire series all in one shot, that is a huge thing. Um, you know, and I know obviously other streaming sites are taking note of this. Um, right. You know, like Hulu in general, they have a, a Marvel show called The Runaways that the first uh, season got released, and they tried to do a, a week by week release. Um, the second season just came out, you know, a week or so ago, uh, to just before Christmas, and they went full on. Let's just release the whole season this time around, as opposed to uh, trying to do the week by week thing you know i think with streaming if you're going to do it just put them all out mm-hmm. yep all right so uh doc final thoughts on the stranger things uh if i didn't say like i said man i'm like fully excited 
Uh, I like that it will all be there. I, mean, I have no idea. I have no idea what the July 4th this year is going to bring for me. Uh, but I do know that when I'll be I a mow have, down. Is, is that July 4th weekend this year? That, that is July 4th weekend this year. Sweet. Well, won't spoil yeah, it for uh, you. Whatever, watch it. whatever my 4th of July will be is has yet to be told, but I will be beyond excited that it is waiting there for me when I get the chance to sit down. So, uh, again, uh, I don't watch a lot of TV uh, as far as series and TV shows, uh, but Stranger Things is one that I watched, and I'm all in for season three, and I can't wait for it. Great. Um, so, uh, so what I had said about Stranger Things uh, season two being divisive among people that were fans of season one, I want to talk about the movie for tonight, Hereditary. Written directed by Ari Aster. This is a Doc's pick. Uh, I think this movie is divisive among horror fans. Uh, a lot of people love it. A lot of people hate it. Uh, but I want to get our opinion. We're going to do talking to our way. So, Doc, why don't you take us away? Give us a plot synopsis why you picked it. And we will carry on, as we always do. Yeah, here we have Hereditary uh, 2018. Uh, like you just said, written and directed by Ari Aster. Uh, this was his uh, directorial uh, feature debut. I don't know what else he's written or has been involved in. Uh, but we got Tony Collette, uh, who we all should know from A Sixth Sense. Um, yep. Alex Wolf, Millie Shapiro, uh, Gabriel Byrne, who I haven't seen around in a while. Uh, but anyway, um, there's a family that is going through the grieving processes uh, after losing uh, their uh, grandmother on the on the maternal side. Um, you know, this was a, a, a midnight section uh, from Sundance this past year. Uh, was released in the summer theatrically of 2018. Had some critical acclaim, etc. Uh, 79 million bucks brought in on a 10 million dollar budget, uh, so mm-hmm. uh, a nice return. Um, you know, uh, we have uh, you know this family that lives in Utah: uh, mom, dad, son, and daughter. Uh, the grandmother had passed away. Uh, we have mom who you know brings uh, some challenging experiences into giving the eulogy at the funeral. And, um, you know, post-funeral, a lot of weird things start to happen with the family. I'm glad that you brought this up as being uh, divisive. Uh, This is one that, uh, you know, I haven't heard talk about as far as, you know, it having a divisive audience. Uh, What I have heard is that, oh, uh, you know, you have to see Hereditary. Uh, You know, it's it's the best horror movie. Um, Right. It's one of the ones... That, you know, we've had a few, and and I think it's a good thing, uh, but we've had a few over the last year or so that have pushed into the mainstream, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with with it and with A Quiet Place and with this, and I know that, right, and I haven't watched it yet, but I know right now on Netflix, Bird Box is all the rage. Um, mm-hmm. I know there was a lot of chatter about Hereditary and people that don't necessarily and I granted we for our show and in general watch a an extreme amount of horror, uh, but I kind of sometimes get a little suspect when uh, people that don't watch horror or care about horror or talk about horror on the usual mm-hmm. are like, oh, this horror movie, this horror movie. Um, I'm not going to get too deep into my thoughts about the specific scenes and story, uh, but I will say that 
Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I also forgot to include Get Out in that list before. But uh, as far as the movie, I thought it was uh, it was beautifully shot. I thought Tony Collette's performance was outstanding. Uh, I thought most of the performances were outstanding. Um, I thought their use of sound uh, was really good. And, um, you know, I'll save my thoughts about the story itself until we get there. Um, but, you know, this is one of those that felt like a, a, like a, a truly crafted film uh, versus some, you know, the usual horror movie that's constructed for, uh, you know, the 13-year-old kids to go feel each other up in the movie theater on opening weekend uh, that, right. you know, usually isn't that good. So there we are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ghoul, what did you think about Hereditary? Uh, you know, this falls into that that wonderful term that we have these days. Elevated. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. (laughs) Elevated. Don't say that word. Elevated. Okay. You know why? Because it's just so much fucking smarter than every other horror film that's ever been out there before. Um, I hate the fucking term. I really do, man. You know, if if it was to have come out these days, Silence of the Lambs would have been a fucking elevated horror movie. You know, guess what? Smart horror has been coming out for fucking years and it never needed to be called elevated before. Um... This movie, yeah, I can see why it's divisive. Uh, it's not in the same manner as, let's say, something like Mother, um, in which you know mm-hmm. religious themes were present and it, and it, it caused you to, to sit there and, and consider what t- types of beliefs you have and this and that. This is just you know one of those films that tries to blend a lot of different genres together. Um, you know, obviously, as we go on with the film, you know, well, we can discuss whether or not we think it's successful or not. Uh, but to echo the doctor's sentiments on it, uh, yeah, I think the performances are very strong. Um, you know, and I am not a fan of Tony Collette. I know her from from many things yeah. besides Six Sense. Uh, I just not an actress that I typically enjoy. Uh, I don't even want to say I enjoy her in this movie. But I can sit there and see that the work she put in for this character is something, you know, nothing short of amazing. Um, but that being said, you know, again, this, this is elevated, so how could it not be the most fucking amazing horror movie ever? <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Um, yeah. Uh, when the movie first came out with trailers back in early 2018, I was intrigued. I said, you know what, this could be fun. Like, you know, it's different. It's weird. Um, you have this girl who has a unique face and makes this clucking sound with her tongue. But the trailer lies to you. <laughs> it really does. If you watch the trailer and you watch it and you go, okay, well, it's going to be about a girl and it's going to be about demons and shit. No, that's not what the movie's about. This movie, to me, is the bird box of early 2018. Where everybody's like, did you see fucking Hereditary? Did you see it? Oh, my God, dude. Oh, my God. You got to see Hereditary. Okay. I, I, all right. But it's, is it good? Oh, no. Dude, you just got to go see it. Like, okay. Well, I, I will check it out. Uh, Hereditary, to me, isn't a horror film. It's a drama film with a third act that shoehorns in horror because it has to be in that horror category. I don't like elevated horror. Like the Gulen said, I hate that fucking term so much. But I feel like this movie... The first and second acts play really well as a dramatic piece. Really does a good job. 
But when you get into the third act, when they delve into the horror, it feels like they were just pushing it in just because they wanted it to be marketed as a horror film. They have to get it in there somehow, and they'll do it. And that's what I felt like. I'm not a big fan of this movie. I know, uh, like we had said, it's divisive. There are people on all the Facebook groups that I follow that are fucking love this movie. I don't get it. I don't understand what they like about this movie. Like, we're going to get into it, but to me, it just it's not that great of a movie. It's fine for what it is, but I felt like the horror elements were kind of shoehorned in, and the performances aside, because I don't like Tony Collette either, cool. so I'm right there with you. But I do like Gabriel Byrne, and I felt like he was mm-hmm. just kind of getting a paycheck in this movie. Like, he was just... He was there to get his pay and go home. That's all he was there for. Um, it, was, it was just a, a lot of different elements. Um, but, yeah, like the, the doc had said, it's about this grandmother that passes away and the family coming together to mourn her passing. It, what did you think about the family dynamic? Because that's what I really did, like I said, in the first and second act of this movie, I appreciate it. Because it's not a togetherness type of family where they're like, oh, we love each other and we're fine and we're perfect. It's kind of a weird... No, it's a it's a flawed, and I'm not going to use the word broken, but it's a it's a it's a flawed yeah. uh, family dynamic that's that's fraught with a lot of kind of underlying tension, uh, a lot of uh, mm-hmm. you know not closeness or warmth. It's very cold. Right. Um, but I'm going to disagree with what you said about like horror as far as needing to shovel okay. horror in into the third act because they start building that stuff up from the very beginning. You know, after the mm-hmm. funeral when they return home and the mom goes up in her studio and she looks over in the corner, like she sees an image of, of her mother and then she turns on the light and it's gone like when the light goes on. And there's lots of little things like that that are going on throughout as this uh as this family is, is coming apart. Um you know, it's the first two acts of the movie that I thought were were the stronger parts of the yes, movie. I agree. Um, I it, you know, it reminded me a lot of, uh, in a way, similarly but different. But we we covered that movie back. I'm pretty sure it goes back to the first uh, version of our show. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I'm pretty sure this goes back to New Jersey when I was still living there before our relaunch. But we covered that movie about that woman and Alzheimer's, the taking of Deborah Logan. Um, yeah, we did. You know, where, uh, you know, I really was viewing the first two acts of Hereditary as like, truly, like, what happens when someone around you is truly uh, having a mental nervous breakdown into insanity. Um you know, and then obviously it wasn't the case. And I felt that way about Deborah Logan, where it was more about sickness. And maybe I had the same remarks about the Baba Duke, about the exploration of mental illness and insanity. Um, and I feel that this is one of those things that was that was in the same. But I feel that there were many elements of suspenseful horror uh, built in before things went, you know, off the rails in the, in the third act. Um, in watching this for the first time for our show, I will agree that I can see why this is divisive, and I'm leaning towards your thought, School, in that uh, you know I I am I'm kind of disappointed by this one, and I I never had this one built up in my mind with hype, so it's not like I watched it and it was like ooh such a big letdown. Um, but I'm leaning towards the fact that uh, that that this movie kind of missed the mark. It was close, and then like a, a lot of problems that I have with movies and books, they shit the bed in the third act. Yeah. I, yeah, and this yeah. one, it felt like a Stephen King shift to bed. So, go ahead, cool. 
I mean, again, I, I didn't go into this with any more hype than seeing the trailers and thinking it looked interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is also one of those funny films where, like you said, everybody tells you, oh, you got to see it, you got to see it, you got to see it. But, you know, I know it made like almost $80 million on a on a $10 million budget, but $80 million isn't all that much these days. So yeah. for all those people who said, you got to see it, you got to see it, it's the best horror movie ever, did they even go see it? You know, or if they did, <laughs> how did they go see it? Because they obviously didn't go to the theater. I know the majority of people that I spoke to who had seen this film and told me I needed to go see it all watched it on, like, bootleg sites or things like that. Nobody wanted to spend the money to actually go see this in the theater. They all watched right. it in the comfort of their homes on their computers and then talked about how you got to go see this movie. Um, which, uh, I, as far as the film itself goes, I have to say, you know, the family dynamic, um, broken, I think, is a great word for it. It's yeah. dysfunctional. The the characters, even talking about Gabriel Byrne, I don't think it's that he dialed in his performance. I think what you have here is a guy that is just cold, and he doesn't know how to communicate with his family anymore. Yeah. And, you know, he's got a, a, a wife that he had to, you know, have her mother move in. And, you know, the, this film doesn't always tell – this is my second time watching, um, just, just mm. you know. Um, this film doesn't always – give you the information through dialogue. And a lot of times they might not even be showing you the information through live action. You're seeing all this stuff Mm -hmm. through Annie's model houses. So all of your backstory, all of the buildup to where we come into the film is done through that. So if you take all of those pieces and you add them together and then watch this movie again, you see why the family is as broken as they are when we get to the start of this film. It's almost like, you know, if you if you look at just to, to use it as a reference, look at the first Star Wars film, you know, episode 4. We were thrown right into the middle of a storyline that was already going on, and that's very mm-hmm. similar here. We're thrown into a storyline that was already ongoing. These are the characters though that we're going to be following throughout this and there are just like these little bits of dialogue going on that are telling you that, you know, like even the, the fate the, the discussion going on in the school, you know, the whole thing of the hero's journey and is it, is, it, is it the hero's choice or is it just that his life is dictated by his fate? Like all of these things all lead up to what you eventually get to at the finale of this movie that I know for the first time watching it being that I thought that this was going to be something else, when it went there, I was like, eh. Watching it this time, I appreciated all the nuances. I'm still kind of like, eh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the one thing I did like, like as the doc had said, the first and second acts of this movie are fantastic. I love how they show you a broken family dealing with grief in a way that's not maybe something that all families would deal with, but this is how they deal with it. Um, I really did like Millie Shapiro, who played Charles, because they didn't give you an explanation as to why she looks the way that she does, and I appreciated that. Like, I didn't need a whole detailed explanation as to why she looks the way she does or why she clucks her tongue the way she does. I I liked that fact, and I kind of wanted her around a little bit longer than what she was in the movie for. But what did you guys think of, of Charlie? Because she does say in the movie that Grandma wanted me to be a boy. So it's kind of like, why is your name Charlie? And it kind of plays out in the film, you know, at least in the third act. 
Well, we also find out through that little bit of, uh, you know, the, the, the writing at the beginning of the film that she had yeah. a brother named Charlie mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah. you know, the character, you know, her, she was obviously named for the brother. Um, right. Who, you know, obviously what we know by the end of the film is what the mother originally wanted to do to him is what gets done to our other character. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought she was great. You know, she's yeah. Uh, yeah, she's an odd-looking girl. She doesn't look like that in real life. She looks close, um, but no, yeah. definitely yeah. use prosthetics, a little bit of makeup to really accentuate the uh, the odd look of her. But uh, yeah, she's she's got a very creepy kid vibe about her. She has a uh, her performance when you look at what she is supposed to be doing in this film. She does it. I almost want to say beyond her years um, as far as being an mm-hmm. actress goes. And I don't know if it's just simply because she's raw and is yeah. just simply, you know, doing it to whatever she felt it was. You know, there's no, no ego involved with it. You know, she's just a, a young up and coming actress that needed to do a role and, you know, she did it and she did it well. Yeah. I, I thought so. I mean, especially when she cuts off the head of the bird <clears throat> outside of the school so she can make her little crafts. Like, I like that little kind of quirk that she has, where she doesn't have any problem doing it. You know, just, hey, there's a bird, cutting off the head, going to make a little craft. Uh, but, you know, Doc, what did you think about that character? Because I thought it was so unique and interesting to the plot of this film. Yeah, I mean, look, she was uh, obviously, you know, knowing what happens at the end, yes, uh, Grandma wanted me to be a boy, her name is Charlie, etc. But, yes, she's a, she's a, a, a uniquely strange-looking human, and she obviously has she is a human. Obviously, she obviously has her weird like behaviors and quirks that kind of oh, set her apart or make her different. Um, you know the thing with the cut and 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 it, there's she must know like something somehow like when she's uh, some of the different crafts that she's building are eer- eerily similar to to what we see at, at the very end. Oh yeah. Um, yep. So, so there's something in her, as well as the beheading of the bird, because beheading is such a, a thing as well. Um, you know, but yeah. yeah, the character the character was certainly interesting, and you know, uh, truly coming coming from the the funeral of the grandmother, uh, you know, and then the fate of of her. So in the film, so not very long after that, <laughs> I did not see that coming. In the in the fucking least, and I felt that yeah. that fucking sequence was quite fucking startling. Mm-hmm. And I think, it's the one I think that too. sequence is what everybody's yeah. saying when they say you have to see Hereditary. Yes, yeah. you know I think yeah. that's the thing. I think it's not the ending. I don't think it's that they felt like it was a smart movie. It's just no. one of those films that if you're not a big horror movie fan, if you're not watching movies that have decapitations and and heavy amounts of blood and all that stuff going on, you see something like that so raw, so visceral. It's an oh shit type of moment. Yeah, in a way, um, because you do have Peter, the son, you know, who has, is kind of disassociative from the family. You know, he just doesn't feel like he belongs. So he's kind of uh, smoking weed at school and kind of trying to get along with all the kids. Um, when he lies to his parents about going to the college party, you know, invite your sister along. She doesn't want to go, but, you know, uh, Annie feels like it's the best option for Charlie. Go with your brother. Have a good time. I know you don't want to go, but it'll be fun. 
Uh, I love the fact that this party they're baking. Like apparently it's not only a kegger, but it's like a baking party where they're going to make cakes and they're going to make desserts. You know, dude, so when you're smoking that much off weed, bro, you have fucking munchies, dude. Yeah, you do. But you figured you'd have snacks. Like if you're going to get high, you're going to have. You're not going to bake. Mm, I mean, I've never been to a kegger where it's like, hey, everybody, we're going to make cakes. Like yeah, I've no, been to a stone and, and have done some baking in my life. I was going to say, you know, I've hung out with the – I might not be much of a chef uh, in any regards, but I've hung out with the doc enough to to know that, you know what, sometimes fucking cooking when you're fucked up like that is just some fucking great shit, dude. He has made See, many a fucking yeah. wonder, wondrous fucking plate full of shit for me before, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm missing that because I don't smoke weed. I never did, so never got that. I was always a beer guy. So, yeah, I was always like, I'll eat it what you make. That's fine, but I'm not going to cook. Fuck that. I just want to get drunk. <laughs> but it's, the, you know, the whole thing of Charlie being told to go wait. Like, you know, I'm going to go get high. You could just fucking eat cake. And she's like, oh, really? It's for everybody? It's like, yeah, well, you have a fucking peanut allergy. Like, <laughs> that's apparent. Like, they have all in this movie, they've said, is that peanuts in the candy bar? They make it a nope. clear point. Yeah. They, they make, make it clear that she cannot have peanuts. So why Charlie would be, be so eager to eat this cake without knowing what the fuck is in it? I'm like, all right, nah, nah. I guess she's well, young, she's a kid, doesn't know any better. The parents make a clear thing for it, but Charlie doesn't always seem to know what's best for Charlie. You know what I mean? It's not like I, I don't feel like she's of her own vol, uh, volition to sit there and really mm-hmm. ask, like, hey – are there nuts in this cake? You know, we have that scene when we, we get introduced to her and she's up in the treehouse and the father says, you know, this is how you catch pneumonia. And her response yeah. to it is, that's okay. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, well, pneumonia can kill people. Um, so, like, uh, yeah, I, did, I didn't find that to be anything, like, you know, to, to fault for her. If anything, it's Peter's fault. If anything, it's the mother's fault. Yeah. Why she yep. forces, you know, him to take her Especially after, you know, when he first, when she first brings it up, you know, it's a school party or whatever it is. So you got to figure they're in high school. It's a high school party. Still, she's 13 yeah. years old. Um, I could never picture sending, you know, my my 12-year-old daughter with my 17-year-old son to go to one of his <laughs> high school parties. Um, if yeah. his friends were over and they were, like, hanging out, then, yeah, that's something else. That's something different, you know. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about an actual party, you know, a whole different story. Um so for, but he lied for to Peter, his mom. He did say he, he did say it was like a school barbecue. He said it was a barbecue. You know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. He phrased yeah. it as like yeah, a school lied. function almost. So, to get to that party. Um, but this yeah, also I mean, though, calls I into this also just so mm-hmm. real quick last thing real fast. This calls yeah. into again the high school scene. Mm-hmm. This was fate. This was things yeah. going yep. the way they had to go. The mother wouldn't even realize that this was why she was sending the daughter. This is why she was so adamant on her going to the party. This was Charlie's fate, you know, and that's, you know, that, that's the big part of the story here. Mm -hmm. And what I was going to say is I want to apologize to any fans of hereditary out there that are going to listen to this podcast. I'm sorry to break your hearts, but I will fucking laugh. I had a belly laugh when she starts to go in anaphylactic shock in the back of the car, and Peter's driving, like, we're going to get to the hospital. It's going to be okay. We're going to get there. She opens up the window to get some air into her throat and ends up getting decapitated by the pole. 
I honestly laughed in this movie because of his reaction. I know he's high. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't know how to react because, oh, shit, she's dead. But he goes home, parks the car with her fucking decapitated body in the back, and then goes to bed. So he's like, whoop, whoop, nothing's wrong here. Nope, she's fine. And then the next morning when he wakes up and he hears his mother screaming, he's like, yep, shit. What am I going to say? Ah, no, she wasn't like that when I left her last night. (laughs) I know it's such a deep scene for a lot of people, but to me, it was a laugh because of his reaction. This non-plus of like, yeah, well, you know, shit happens, so it's high. I don't know. I, you know, but it leads to the whole thing of his character of not taking responsibility, which is a big part of Peter's character for what he did. But I want to know what you guys thought about that. Because the big scene, but at the same time, to me, I, I laughed. <laughs> Sorry as I didn't say it. Go ahead, Doc. What's that? You want to go first, man? No, go ahead. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying, I mean, yes, taking responsibility is definitely one of Peter's flaws here in the film, but I mean, I, I did not, you know, and there's been plenty of movies that, you know, I've seen in which, you know, something like this happens and yes, I, I, I found a laugh out of it or I found a giggle out of it, but uh, no, uh, I know the first time watching this, that was definitely an oh shit type of moment because I did not see it coming. You know, at all, yeah. I figured they were going to get to the hospital. Maybe the girl was going to die. You know, I, I, I assumed something bad was going to happen to Charlie. The fact that Charlie was going to stick her fucking head out the window and get it knocked clear off of her fucking shoulders, not not at all in the fucking thing. And as far as his reaction, I don't think it had anything to do with him being stoned. That's fucking shock. You know, he kind of like looks in the rearview mirror. You know, he knew that it was bad. Oh, yeah. You know, and, yep. and I think, you know, there, there's certain things that happen to people throughout their lives that break them sometimes. And that was a very broken person. And again, all credit to the actors in this film, because I think they all sold their parts very well. Yep. Um, I was talking to a ghoul girl earlier about it. You know, like one of the things that I do find in some movies to be a flaw is that there's no likable characters. And I feel honestly in this movie, there's no likable characters, but I think that's by design. And for them to all have been able to do that so well, I got to give it credit, even if I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Doc. Yeah. You know, I know that there was a big uh, sequence where he gets, you know, Dressed down for not taking responsibility for his actions, but I'm agreeing with Google on this one. Um, I don't think that this was a case of not taking responsibility for his actions because what teenage stoner in his right mind in that moment is going to be like, yes, I did all of these things that caused my my kid sister's head to go rolling down the highway. Um, You know, he was trying to take responsibility, I feel, by rushing her to the hospital um, Mm -hmm. when she was having a having a problem. I feel that because I work my, like my career is working with fucking kids. Uh, wh- wh- whose responsibility is it for making sure that that fucking kid has her fucking EpiPen on her at all fucking times? Yeah. The amount of fucking oh, yeah. meetings, Thank you. the amount of, yep. the amount of meetings that I have to sit through both at my mm-hmm. summer job and my teaching job before the year starts yeah. about EpiPens and making sure you know who has EpiPens and where they are and that they have to come with you when you walk across the street. They have to come with you when you go to lunch. The EpiPens have to be there at all fucking times. Um, yeah. 
So especially when they're at the funeral, the parents are like, oh, we didn't bring the EpiPen. Like they're sending this kid out without a fucking EpiPen, and she's, she's yep. that fucking definitely allergic to peanuts that she's going to fucking die within a few minutes. But anyway, uh, my, my, my comments are not about taking responsibility. Um, my comments are about the fact that, yeah, I think that that was a complete and total freakout of shock and not having one iota of an idea of what you do in that situation uh, other than fucking drive home and crawl into bed. Um, and yes, maybe, you know, 99 out of 100 kids would have done something different, like call the police or something. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think that's something that should be uh, highlighted as, as, as showing how this character does not uh, take responsibility for his actions. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just felt like, you know, in that particular sequence when he arrives home with her body in the back seat and he just goes to bed, like you would think that would be something where you would run upstairs and tell your parents, like, there's an accident and Charlie died, you know, and be really upset about it. But instead he goes to bed. So that's why I said it's him not taking responsibility, you know, at the I, think he, of, I think he honestly wants to believe that it didn't happen, that it's a dream, man. Yeah, I could you know, I feel like him, yeah. him laying there when we see him with his eyes open and the mother screaming, you know, I think it's just confirmation to him that it actually occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I only watch this once. I know the ghoulie said he watched it twice. Um, when you see Annie going to the support groups in the beginning, uh, when the mother dies, and then going back after Charlie dies, you get introduced to Joni. To me, I'm a horror fan, as we all know, and I've seen Rosemary's Baby. You are? And I saw Joni. The first time watching this, I'm like, that's Ruth Gordon's character from Rosemary's Baby. She's not to be trusted. Let's not trust this woman. But she does, you know. But to me, that's the vibe I got introduced to Joni, the character, that she has ulterior motives to connecting with Annie. And I don't know if you guys got it on your first viewing, but to me, yeah, I was there. I was like, there, there's something well, different about this character. I didn't think of it uh, right away. Uh, and again, I did not go back. I know that upon the first, uh, you know, when they meet in the parking lot, uh, when, when Annie had dro- driven to the, to the support group and started to leave, and, and Joni flags her down, uh, I did not go back and look, but uh, maybe maybe one of you noticed, or and, or King, since you've seen it more than once, maybe you've noticed. Uh, when Annie goes to the support group for the first time, is Joni in the room? Yep. Does anybody know? Do they show her? Uh, when she's I, in the I, I've seen her twice. I don't believe she's in the room. You gotta watch it right. a third time then, because she's there. Oh, okay. I... <laughs> no, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. good, that's just good to know. Um. Again, because they only give you the one sequence when Annie's at the support group and kind of breaks down. And, you know, they show people in the room, but none of them, I feel, were highlighted any more than the next. And then when she yeah. drives again and doesn't go in and Joni comes in the car window and is like, oh, you were here. It's been so many months since you've been here, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I didn't think it then. I thought there was definitely something up with her when, uh, when, when Annie was coming out of the art supply store and Joni was in the parking lot and was, like, pretty much dragging her. Uh, you know, to her house. I was like, all right, like something's up with this lady. Like this is about the same. Yeah. 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 And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but if you look in the back of Joni's car, the chalkboard is wrapped up in the back of the bags that she uses for the seance. So it's there, you know? So if you're savvy enough, you'll pick it up that, 
when Joni brings her to the house and saying, oh, I'm connecting with my grandson. He's here. And he likes to write in a chalkboard. No, you're a fucking scam artist. <laughs> that chalkboard's in the back of your bag at the art store. So that's why I said, I was like, yeah, you know, getting that Rosemary's well, Baby vibe. Well, no, what she said was, yeah, I mean, basically what she was saying is, is I brought, you know, a chalkboard. You like to use the chalk. I, th- mm. I didn't think she was trying to scam her at that point. I think she was trying to show her, and she was using that as an example uh, of the communication. She just didn't have the chalkboard the first time she made the, the communication. Really? You think it was a scam? I took it as a scam. I thought it was just her scamming this woman the entire time. Like doing the old school I, seance thing. Of, don't worry about it. It's just a glass. It's nothing. He's here. It's fine. She's like, what the fuck? Like, you know, she's like, no, it's fine. I mean, she was obviously trying to prove to her that this was all real. You know, so I didn't find that Joni in that specific situation. I mean, whether that was Paimon or whether that was, you know, whoever it was that she was communicating with. I mean, it could have been a grandson. We don't know. We don't know for sure whether or not any of what Joni tells her was truth. Um, It's never never revealed. All we know is that Joni was part of whatever cult that the grandmother was involved with. And we're going to get to that, because I want to talk about that, too. Um, But, you know, what did you think, Doc? Did you think that, you know, it's kind of like a scam artist type of thing to convince this woman that she could communicate with Charlie in the afterlife? Yeah, I mean, I mean, in real life, I'm skeptical of that bullshit. I mean, there's always some kind oh, of yeah. fucking loon that comes on TV and it's like, uh, oh, hey, let's talk to your fucking dead relatives and fucking lunatics like my mom giving money. Uh, but what was that fucking guy's name with the fucking silver hair that would stand in a fucking room and be like, oh, uh, uh, your daughter John is Edwards. Present. Yeah, that fucking <laughs> yeah. guy. People, people yeah. are like, here, take, here, here, take my fucking money. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I... I you know, I'm skeptical of that, you know, but, you know, obviously in, inside the world in which this movie takes place, especially when, uh, you know, she goes to Joni's house and has that experience and then goes back to her, her own house and is like, we have to do this and weird shit happens. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of it in the context of that world, not necessarily the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's, it's that scene where Annie has a nightmare with Peter where she feels like this is the time to wake up my entire family and to have the seance because we have to contact Charlie. It's real. It's going to happen. You know, because she believes everything that Joan told her, you know, as the, the scam artist, as I believe Joan to be, and having the objects flying around. And I'm sorry, but Peter is the worst fucking crier I've ever seen. <laughs> the, the choked up, <laughs> I'm like, all right. Can you stop yes. crying, please? When you were talking about having left when, when Charlie got killed, I was going to say, and I'm glad you brought that up, that I laughed in that scene yeah. uh, the way, the way <laughs> Peter sounded when he was crying. Uh, I laughed in that, in that scene. I did, yeah. I thought it was, it was funny, just the way that he cried. I mean, what did you think about the seance with them bringing Charlie into – the world, and all of a sudden she's malevolent now, and she's evil. So what do we do? Again, I don't think that that was Charlie um, at that point, you know? I think Mm -hmm. we already saw that certain certain things were occurring prior to that seance. So we knew that Mm -hmm. certain spirits were already around. Again, we're talking in the world of this this film. 
Um, you know, and because of information that we're going to get later, you know, we're going to find out that, you know, the, the first part of the invocation is what occurs here. So yeah. this is not, you know, this is obviously she is being possessed by Charlie during this, this key moment. But at the yeah. same time, I really think that this was the bringing of Paimon into the, into the world as far as bringing him back. Now, whether him and Charlie are one, I think is one of the big debates for this movie. No, it is a big debate um, whether or not they are two and the same. It's just, I mean, I think they played with it the right way, you know, in the second act of, of doing the seance the right way, whether or not Charlie's malevolent. I like the fact that when Annie tries to throw the sketchbook of Charlie's in the fireplace, her arms catch fire. So it's like, yeah, I right. can't destroy you know, it's like, you, you can't get rid of this. Because if you try to, I'm going to destroy it. So it's kind of cool, because they're kind of implementing the supernatural elements um, into the story. Which, again, I, I was still okay with this, like, at this point. I was like, it's fine. You know, what they're doing with this, you know, the whole supernatural. And see, the first time watching this, I was so locked into the family part of it. And just mm-hmm. all the... Just how like just just disconnected these people were from one another, and like knowing that you know like here again we're getting these little bits of backstory you know we're getting the yeah. the little bit that we got during the one meeting when she was talking about how she uh you know she was sleepwalking and that she had covered you know her and the kids in fucking you know lighter paint fluid thinner. or whatever it was uh, paint thinner and she was ready yeah. to strike the match and now we know why. Peter is the way he is, you know, because, you know, and deep down he knew that at some point, whether his mom was sleepwalking or not, she was going to kill him. Um, And Charlie as well. Um, And herself, obviously. Uh, That, yeah, most of the supernatural stuff that was occurring, it was almost, like the first time watching it, it was almost annoying. Because I was just really, really more interested in seeing what was going to happen with this family, watching these people break down, looking at these dioramas that she's putting together. Like when she was talking about how, like there's a scene where she's talking to Charlie uh, right after the grandmother's funeral. And she's like, yeah, how grandma, you know, you wouldn't even eat for me. You know, grandma insisted that she fed you. And then we see a diorama of... Her in the bed with Charlie and the grandmother pulling her tit out. To yes, 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 yes. Like it's a whole yeah. other level of fucking, you know, feeding right there, man. You're not talking about like, oh, hey, grandma's gonna bottle feed you, motherfucker. No, grandma's gonna put her titty in your mouth. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's, it's just disturbing. And like I said, like a lot of the supernatural elements, it was it was more hindrance I felt for the story that I was enjoying in the movie. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, this is, uh, what we get next is another scene. Again, I, I had a couple of laughs at this movie. And this is what led me to my next kind of point, where after the seance, you have Annie going over to Joan's apartment, and Joanie's gone. But she notices the welcome mat, which kind of resembles something that her mother might have done. So when she runs and goes back home, and she starts looking through boxes, and she sees all the, the mats, with their names on it that stitched the exact same way that Joni's mat was made. And well, she mentions she that the first the time she sees it. She mentions that the yeah. first time she sees it that it looks like something her mom made. Her mom yeah. used to make mats yeah. like that. This time, yeah. though, it was the symbol on it. She recognized the symbol yeah. from her mother's books. 
That's right. Yeah, I, I forgot that part. So I thank you for that. Um, but it was going to, you know, going to that room, going through the boxes, and she's looking through all the mats and seeing that the, you know, the stitch work is the same. And then she opens up the photo album. I, I, I'm sorry again to hereditary fans. I had a laugh because you have all these normal photos of the family, and then all of a sudden it's like, who the fuck are these people? What is this? What is this? Why is my mother wearing a fucking white dress? Why are they putting coins on her? I'm like, you've never seen this photo album before? Like, you've just buried this? And look, there's demon possession books. I'm like, well, this is Rosemary's Baby again, where it's like, I need to research demons. Like, well, again, though, we know that her and the mom yeah. were very disconnected from one another. They mm-hmm. really, there was literally a, a no, we get it told that there was a no contact rule that the husband put in place because oh, yeah. of how bad it was between her and the mom. Um, but so did the you guys get why your mom's photo album? Like, yeah, I, I, but I did totally you guys get that. why she was disconnected? Like, did you get that line that they had? That she had Wait. GID? Which is dissociative identity disorder, which is yeah. what victims of possession have, where they feel like they've been possessed by demons. So, yeah, the grandmother said that she had the ID, and that was the big reason that Steve, the husband, wanted to get her away from her family, because she had the ID, which kind of leads into the finale of this film, talking about demons, because that's a big possession angle in real life with exorcisms, the people well, that yeah, think they're also... possessed have the ID. But we also get that through the family history when she's yeah. at the meeting and she's talking about how her brother felt like, you know, that he killed himself because he felt like somebody was putting voices inside of him. You know, oh, they yeah. were getting people put into him. And again, when we, when we get to the ending, we realize that, you know what, he wasn't crazy. You know, he, no, no. Yeah. did what, you know, I, think he was I guess. And it didn't work. I wonder that, that. Um, because again, yeah. we, we see Peter does something similar, and yet the the outcome mm-hmm. is different this time around. So I do wonder what I may, I'm guessing maybe the uh, ritual might not have been done correctly for some reason. Mm-hmm. But my question to you guys is: You have Annie at home after she discovers the photo album, the books on demonic possession, the books about King, you know, uh, Payman, which is real. That's an actual real demon in hell if you research demons. Um, she goes to the attic, and when she pulls down that door, you have all the flies coming out, and she just has that disgust of what the fuck is that smell? Did they not smell that the entire time? Because I would think you would smell a dead body in your attic if you had one in there. Like, to me, I'm like, eh, okay, I guess no. <laughs> you know, but to me, Gabe, I, well, I would Gabriel think Burn dropped something earlier where he says, what's that smell? But then something else occurred that de- detracted them from exploring it any further. I forget if something happened with Peter or, or whatnot, but something occurred when they first bring up the odor. Um, and then, yes, mm-hmm. then, you know, then we get the scene later after she goes through everything that she goes up into the attic, which I figure she's just going in the attic to find more shit because, you know, that's probably oh, yeah. where they stashed her mom's shit. But, you know, Doc, what do you think about that? Like, do you think that they would have that odor and be like, what the fuck is that? We need to find out where this odor is coming from. Yeah, I feel, I feel that's one of those things. As soon as you open that fucking door and all the flies came down, you're like, all right, someone's fucking body's up there. Um, <laughs> I feel like even if the, if the odor is referenced and they get sidetracked from exploring it, that doesn't make the odor go away. Um, no. I am going to imagine that a... Yeah, yeah. so I, yeah, I, I, I don't know that this family is going to be in this house 
no matter how insane they appear to be or how much they seem to be going crazy, uh, that they're going to be like, oh, I don't smell anything. So <laughs> I do feel that they should have been smelling what was going on up there. <laughs> Something. Yeah. Like nothing. Like, you know, it's like, oh, there's a decapitated body of my mother upstairs. That's fucking weird. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you would think that you would smell that and react to it, but I know, they don't. I like, it, yeah. We've had a rodent issue at the shop recently, mm-hmm. and I know I had gone into the bathroom on, uh, I think it was Monday. And I could clearly smell, like, something that's dead has Mm -hmm. quite a distinct fucking odor. And it amazed me, though, because I went into the bathroom and I instantly smelt it. And when I brought it up to them and to the other people in the shop, they were like, what, really? So I don't know if everybody always identifies what the stench of something dead is. I think sometimes either somebody could be nose blind to it or they just think it's... I don't know. I don't know what they think it is, but like I know the fucking smell quite clearly. You know, I, I, I've been around enough roadkill yeah. and and dead things. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have Peter at school, and you know he hears the the clucking sound of Charlie, and he raises his hand up, you know, in class, and then starts breaking his nose on the desk. You know, did you think that this is the first time that the malevolent Charlie is trying to possess his body but can't? Like, maybe she doesn't have enough energy yet to kind of get into his body. Oh, I mean, I think we've been seeing it occur. I mean, there's the scene where Joan is standing across the street while he's having lunch telling him to get the fuck out. She casts him out. Yeah. You know, she's trying to remove him from the body, you know? know? Yeah, that's the question that I had. Was she there? Or was he imagining that? Because... Nobody else was reacting as a woman screaming at him, you know, at the uh, the cafeteria on the outside. Yeah, you know, with the imagination. I don't know if he was imagining it. I just, you know, again, that's that's one of those weird ones. I don't think it was in his head, but I mean, obviously it mm-hmm. could be. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. It's a fucked up scene. That's what it is. That's the way I felt about it. Like, it was imagined. Like, you know, he didn't. But, you know, he breaks his nose, and you have to have uh, Steve drive him home and be like, hold on, what about before that? What about when he's walking in the hallway, and there appears to be someone in the fucking window of the door, like, beckoning him? Yep. Yeah, was that right or not? You know, especially the the ghost vision. Yeah. And the ghost vision that we had seen, where it's, like, scanning the hallways. And he sees it in the hallway, and he's like, what the fuck is that? Like, you know, it's like it's there coming for him. He just doesn't know why, and nobody else sees it. So it's not like he could tell people, did you see that? I'm like, no. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. But even his friends, when he literally has the face of Charlie on his own face, <clears throat> which I like that effect, when his face contorts into Charlie's face. He gets the mm-hmm. lip, he gets the lazy eye, right before he bashes his head into the desk. Like, I thought it was a great effect. Because it shows you that she's trying to get in. Well, again, you know, then, like I said, I mean, obviously, it does also come down to whether or not Charlie was ever Charlie. Yeah, it, it leads to that question. Is this Charlie? Is this a demon? Is this payment that we get later in the movie? Is it 
uh, Payman trying to come through because it needs a male host. Um, and it leads to the confrontation of Steve and Annie, where she's saying, you need to burn this fucking book. We need to get it out. He's like, you're fucking mad. You're crazy. I'm like, yeah, she is. She's fucking gone. She's done. You know, and like, I don't know. Again, I had a little bit of a laugh moment. It's in the trailers. When they throw the book into the fire and Steve catches fire. And he just Dude, that's CGI. There. That CGI moment yep. of Gabriel Byrne is fucking terrible. That gave me a, that is probably the Horrible. only like true giggle I got in this movie. It did make me laugh. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. expecting that to happen either. I didn't think he was going to burst into flame. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, ah, oh no, I'm on fire. Oh, like, like what? Like you know, that's it. You're just going to stand there on fire. And then you're going to just fall to the ground so Peter can discover your body? Like, yeah, that's fine. All right. <laughs> you know? Um, but, yeah, but when Peter wakes up, stuff. he's in a window. These are nightmare. the flames of hell, so we don't quite know yeah. how one would react uh, amongst having them burning you. I don't know. I think if I was uh, caught on fire, I might want to stop, drop, and roll, like I learned back in elementary school. I wouldn't just stand there and just go, oh, my God, no. This is crazy. Well, uh, Shit. As as somebody who who was lit on fire in uh, elementary school, uh, I can tell you stop, drop, and roll. Yes, I know I was. Um, stop, drop, and roll. While you know, obviously a valid way to to put yourself out um, did not enter my mind very quickly. Um, dropping my fucking pants that were on fire did though, and that did do the trick. Mm-hmm. But. Um, you know, Peter waking up to discover the scene of his father you know, burnt to a crisp, laying before the fireplace, and Annie is somehow possessed. Um, I did love the chase that she has with, with Peter when she runs to the attic and then just starts bashing her head up against the attic door. I was like, I like that effect. It was cool to see her, you know, not just knocking on the door, but no, bashing her head repeatedly into the door. While Peter sad cries the way that he does. <laughs> now, right, right before that, though, you know, we see her. We see her up in the corner on the in the ceiling. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And the but, weird, but yeah. we we see her where Peter doesn't see her. Only the audience sees her. And then when Peter looks and there's the 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 the, the people in the doorway. Naked dude. Yeah. Fucking. Uh, oh yeah. Dude standing there with his dick hanging out. Yeah, nice night to go Was that her funeral? Um, was that the grandmother's funeral? <laughs> Did you see that? What's that, that guy? Was that the grandmother's funeral? I assumed as much. Yeah, I, know, I was seeing a hell of a, I was seeing a hell of a lot more of them than I really wanted to. So yeah, I, with yeah. that grin. Um, so, but it led to my, my question. My question, or my my question, or my yeah. point, though, what I was saying is that so we see. You know, mom up on the yeah. ceiling in like a fucking, yeah. you know, like a fucking spider pose up there. Yeah. And then he turns and fucking naked dude and then turns back and she runs out of the corner to chase him. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, was she up there on the ceiling? Uh, like, yeah. it's not like it was an image that the character, like, because the characters have had images that weren't there or that were there. Right. And then when they clicked their heads, they were gone. Like, I was just puzzled by the appearance of her up on the ceiling if it was only meant for us to see. We also yeah. saw her walking along the wall, though, as he came out of the room when he was yep. first coming to. 
and she mm-hmm. was like walking Spider-Man style up along the wall. So yeah, she was. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I don't think I noticed that. It's there. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. She she comes creeping out real fucking quick, dude. But that's what led me to Going ask back. you guys, like the the doctor just asked, when Peter's in the attic and he locks it, and you have Annie banging her head up against the attic door. The next shot is of her levitating, cutting her head off with piano wire. How the fuck mm-hmm. did you get up there? Are you now not a person anymore? Are you a ghost? Are you, you know, like a demon? Because you have to get into the attic somehow. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how did she end up in the attic? But like, well, I guess again, you have to suspend this belief. No, well, it's not just that. I mean, what we learned through the quick – and what I did this time around is I paused it. Um, okay. When sure. Annie was looking through the book that was mm-hmm. explaining to her who Pyman was – um, right, you know there were certain par- portions highlighted it, uh, highlighted on it, which is obviously what they want you to read. But mm-hmm. you know there were other lines in there as well, which you know again I had to pause it in two different locations to be able to read the whole thing. Pyman can take female form; he yeah. prefers male form. So I believe, yeah. like yep. during this period, like, you know cool. she is possessed with him. Um, you know, I believe that the grandmother at one point was possessed with him. Charlie was hosting his body um, for a stretch of time. Um, whether that was through the grandmother's breastfeeding or something else, I don't know. Uh, but, but regardless, yeah, I think every character except for Gabriel Byrne at some point hosted this character, uh, hosted this creature. So... You know, that's all that was. She's crawling around acting like a fucking demon because she is a demon. Right, demon and she now. cuts her head off with the piano wire, which I'm like, all right. I mean, it's it, I mean, it's a great effect. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a cringe-worthy effect need, in the movie. He needed to come yeah. out. <clears throat> what did you think, Doc? Um, it was the discovery of this with Pyman, like, this is where this shit fucking went off the fucking rails for me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, once it was discovery that this that this was going on, this is where uh, I feel that the movie was ruined uh, for me. I like we were talking about. I agree. The, you know, and I, you know, I, based on everything that was going on with these characters leading up to that, I feel like that was some yeah. weak ass fucking shit for the for the mm-hmm. for the finale. Finale. Um, I do just want to ask because I I have it open on my laptop right now. Um, just because I'm curious to see this scene that I missed. Where is he uh, walking down where we see Annie spider walking? It's when he's getting out of his bedroom or when he's walking yep. through one. It's, he's in one of the rooms. You'll see her spider walk along the wall and out of mm-hmm. the door of the room. Real quick. It's a real All quick right, show. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. All right, so... Uh, yeah, I totally didn't see this. He's coming to. He sees the. You see the light. It's on out in the um, treehouse. Says he's getting out of bed, uh, and he lifts his head up out of the bed, and uh, she's up in the corner. Yep. Mm-hmm. I can see her. I missed yep. that. I didn't. I didn't catch yep. that. I don't know why. No. Oh, but, um, but wait till wait till he comes out of the room because now she's not only going to be in the corner, she's going to spider walk through as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, carry on with carry on with the discussion. So yeah. You know, <laughs> why, you why, thank Annie, you, sir. <laughs> yeah. 
So you have Annie cutting off her head with piano wire, which leads to Peter freaking out and jumping out the window and landing into the, the, you know, like the dirt, I guess. I mean, that's not a fall that I think would kill somebody. I think, you know, if he was normal, he probably would survive that. But it is Charlie fully possessing Peter at this point. And she does the clucking of the tongue, you know, you know, real quick. And you see that it's not him anymore. You know, it's Charlie. And you see the levitating body of Annie going up to the treehouse. And you get this whole kind of everybody bowing down to who this is now. This is payment. You know, this is what payment wanted. Payment wanted the male body. Um, and it's everybody that was in the support group, which I did like. That was the one thing. I'm like, all right, cool. It's everybody in the support group. They were there the entire time. Rosemary's baby style kind of getting this moment to happen. But it's also a moment where I'm like, you know, when I think about this movie again, like everybody at home, hug your mom because the mother of Annie did this because she didn't feel loved by her family. And that's what I got from this movie is that she didn't feel a connect with her family. So she ended up connecting with these cult members and ended up getting into witchcraft because they appreciated her. And that's why the pictures of her in the wedding dress getting coins dropped on her. And she's like, yay. Like that's exactly the way I took it. They loved her. The family didn't really care too much. So I was like, yeah, go home, hug your mom. Cause she might curse you. That's my message. I don't know if I took I'm it sorry. as that. I took it I'm, as she I'm, was I'm just fucking... back in here as I'm trying to fucking sort this out. But does she spider work on the wall before he comes before he comes downstairs? Right. Yes, before. Yep. There's a shot of her doing that before she goes up onto the ceiling when he sees his dad's body all burnt up. Okay, I got it. I, I know he's dwelling on this, but it does happen. <laughs> I got it. I wasn't <laughs> see it. I saw it. I saw it. He hadn't even got out of his bed yet. He was still sitting in his bed. Yes. You know, but yeah, that, that's exactly what happened. Um, but what did you guys think about the ultimate kind of ritual at the end? where you have the decapitated bodies of his mom, of his grandmother. They're all bowing to him because he's now payment. I, I, like I said, I didn't like this movie very much because I did like that it had a very much of a Rosemary's Baby ending where you have Joan telling him who he is now. Charlie, you're in this body. Hail payment. Hail payment. Like, I was like, yeah, love it. I was like, it's kind of a Rosemary's Baby type ending. You know, and I was like, that's yeah, all right. Liked it. The whole movie as a whole, I didn't appreciate it, but I did like that ending. This ending, I thought this was shit. I totally ruined it for me. It was shoehorned. Yeah. I agree. I don't know I if mean, I'd call like it shoehorned. I feel yeah. like it was a mess. I feel like they thought like, hey, you know, again, this whole entire time, they've been building all this drama. They've been building everything up yeah. to this. And yep. it felt like the writer the director, whoever it was, I feel like at this point just felt like, you know what? We're so fucking smart. Look what we made. You know what? Well, yep. We're going to go fucking, we're going to take it. We're going to blow everybody's mind with this one now. Um, and yeah, I felt like it just tried to rob from so many different genres that it yeah. never gave you anything strong. You know, it just felt like it was a watered-down version of, you know, Rosemary's Baby and, you know, The Exorcist. And it just felt like it was taking from so many different sources at this point that it just, it it ruined 
almost like the doc said, it kind of ruined the rest of the movie. It ruined mm-hmm. everything that led up to it because up until this point, you know, even the first time viewing, Elevated. I might not have been enjoying the film all that much, but I yeah. was invested. And this kind of eliminated that investment. Go ahead, Doc. Or at least made the investment feel not worthy. But Go ahead with what? I was just whispering with the word the You know, because you said it was shit. I kind of agree. I did like the Hale Payman thing because it was a callback to Rosemary's Baby. But, yeah, too little too late for this movie. I felt like it was just too much at the end where it's like you had a great first and second act. And then the third act, it's like, yeah, it's fucking possession shit. Like, yeah, that's the way I felt about it. Like, yeah, that's where we're going. No, I just, I feel like, I feel like from, from Annie's discovery up in the attic after leaving Joni's house with the floor mats and pulling out the books and seeing the photos and the pot, like, what about Chachi? I, I felt from that into the <laughs> yeah. end was, in a way, one, I, I don't like the fucking story anymore. But I feel like it was also after all of this fucking buildup, we get to this part, and then from there to the end, where all now there's a fucking uh, a cult or a, a yeah. witch group or whatever you want to call it. Like it was yep. so, it, I felt so super rushed to me. Like yeah. there was, and yes, maybe if I were to go back and watch again and look, maybe I'll see all of the clues that might maybe are there all along. But I feel they are like, there. yeah, they're all there. I just I feel but, yeah. like. That that this that part of the story, I just I don't like it. I don't, you know what I mean? No. Like I, 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 that's the best way to say it. Like that kind of this, like I don't feel that there was any kind of indication that this was the direction that things were going into, like a whole fucking witch's cult that exists in the real world uh, mm-hmm. that mass fucking support group, um, yeah, or or, or whatever that is going to be tied into this one specific family so deeply uh, where, where this is all unfolding in the rapid pace that it unfolded once Annie got back up in the attic and opened up those boxes. Yeah, I, I, I didn't like it. I mean, I'm kind of glad that you guys had the same way of thinking that I did because I've listened to so many podcasts and I've read so many reviews about Hereditary after – Doc, you said you were going to pick this movie. And everybody's like, this is amazing. Like, it's so great, the ending. And it's like, I was gripping myself the entire time. And I was like, I didn't get that. I just, I didn't vibe with this movie. I, I liked it in some points, but I hated it the rest of it because I felt like the horror was just kind of pushed in at the last act where they didn't know what they wanted to close it out as. It's like yeah, Stephen King he writes a book. He's like, I don't know how I to liked, I really liked uh, you know, Tony Collette's performance. She does the thing <laughs> the way she bugs her fucking eyes out that fucking makes her look horrifying. Uh, so yeah, very effective. Um, but yeah, you know, again, I felt that the, the I was gripped. I, uh, you know, I was into it for the first two thirds. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I was I was engaged with it, and then it just went off the rails for me. You know, I'm glad I got a chance to watch it. You know, but overall, oh, yeah, I don't regret it. Yeah, not my favorite. It's, it's... It's decent, but it's not great. Like, it doesn't deserve, I think, the accolades that it gets, where it's like, oh, shit, Hereditary. You know, it's okay. Like, I've seen better. I've seen worse. Hereditary is just kind of passable. Like, it's not memorable. It's not a movie where I'm like, I can't fucking wait to talk about this with people. It's like, yeah, I'll talk about it because I want to talk about what I didn't like. (laughs) You know, I don't want to talk about the great parts, but I want to talk about the parts that I didn't like, but... So I'm, I'm glad that we did talk about it because I know 
like we had talked about with Bird Box being the, the toast of the town at the end of 2018, Hereditary was the toast of the town at the beginning of 2018. So, I mean, it is what it is. But not a movie that I would ever want to revisit and go, yeah, well, maybe I'll look at it differently, you know, in the future. Um, but as we close out. I don't, think I'll, I don't think I'll ever watch it again. You know, and again, yeah, I own no, it, I don't and so. who knows? Maybe I will, but uh, it's highly doubtful. I think seeing it twice is is as much as you ever really need to see it. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but yeah, as we close out uh, next week, we go back to me for my film pick, and this is one that I hope the doc's going to be a part of because I'm excited about this one. It's something that I've wanted to cover for a while, and it's going to be the King of Horror versus the King of Rock and Roll, Elvis Presley. We're going to go. Come on, baby, Bubba Hotep. Love it. Wow. Going to be the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, JFK versus a demonic mummy in a senior citizen's home. Directed by Phantasm director Don Coscarelli. Hope you guys will join me for next week's episode. While it won't be my first time watching it, it will probably be my first time making it through the entire film. We watched the entire film. I'm almost positive that every time we've ever put it on, including the first time, I don't know if there was ever another time following that that I completely fell asleep and passed out, man. All right. (laughs) Well, it's a good one for me. Um, But don't fret, guys. There's a totally legal site that I use called TubiTV.com, which is becoming a big favorite of people that have smart TVs nowadays. Uh, I have a link for it. I'll send it to you guys after the show. So you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to rent it. You can watch it totally free and legal on TubiTV.com. So I cannot wait to talk about this movie next week with you guys. Looking forward to it, man. All right. So, Doc, thank you once again for joining us. I cannot wait for your thoughts next week on Bubba Hotel. All right, then. Why don't you go ahead and sign yourself up? Uh, Good night. Excellent. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so, Ghoul, as we close out, why don't you go ahead and plug something? Because I think there's a holiday coming up next month called Valentine's Day. I don't know. I never heard of it. It's kind of new. But I think you have a company that you want to plug in case somebody wants to get something for their loved one. Well, first I wanted to talk about Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Um, no, just kidding, so, everybody. Yes, Valentine's Day is a Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Uh, head on over to Bonfire Beat Designs. Uh, the ghoul girl has been working her ass off. Uh, she has been getting very busy lately. There's been a lot of orders coming through. She's working and getting them shipped out as soon as she possibly can. Uh, some of the stuff, you know, she uh, she has on has to be made on spot um, because, you know, the pieces have been sold and some of them are still listed on there. Uh, but she can make it, and she has been. And, you know, if it's any of you fans out there that have been ordering, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate it. And, again, just keep on getting on there and, and doing your thing, man. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So why don't you go ahead and sign us off, Ghoul? Stay scared. Well, the folk As always. And as always, like I always like to say, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. We'll meet you back here next week to talk about Don Coscarelli's Pabahotep, Bruce Campbell, Elvis Presley, Ozzy Davis, JFK. Can't beat it. Come on, baby. Let's do it.